Welcome to the Woodland Sermon Podcast. My name is Thane. I'm the Woodland Online Campus Pastor here, and I'm joined today by our Senior Pastor, Pastor Shannon Waples. This weekend, Pastor Shannon brought part four of our series, Awakening. Morning, Pastor. Good morning. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Awesome. How about you? Doing good. Watch some football. Watch Tom Brady uh, win again on his way to a 10th Super Bowl. Legend. Oh, unbelievable. Uh, so this weekend, the title of your sermon was Selfless Sacrifice. Uh, in your sermon, you reflected on your experience with the Bronzeville Revival and the series of events that led up to that. Uh, when we talk about revival, it seems like everyone in the church immediately has a picture of what that might look like. They all come in with their own presuppositions and ideas. I know some may look at it as like a scheduled event that happens in the summer in a big tent with an evangelist and a big crowd, and others see it more in a small prayer room lasting months and months. When we're looking at revival, obviously there's been so many different kinds of revivals over the past several decades. What lens should we be looking at it through, and how can we recognize it when it's in front of us? Good question. You know, uh, uh, revival not unlike just our faith in general is interesting because when people come to the table, they come, you know, semantics um, for each person, words mean something different. And so uh, when you, when you're early in faith and you begin to pray, um, you don't mean to, but you just pray what you know, which is your own personal needs. And it's about me, 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 me. And some ways you can see uh, God as a genie in a bottle. It's a, uh, you really exist to make sure I get what I want. And as we mature in our faith, we recognize the fact that that's not a, a healthy posture. On the flip side, um, sometimes we can chase the gifts more than the giver. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting because the me, 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 me mindset, we would hate uh, if if we watch someone and their faith stay long term in the God, give me the promotion, the job, the car, the and yet, sometimes as mature believers, we start saying, God, give me the gift of healing, the gift of tongues, the gift of the gift of. And so, really, we're still seeking the gift more than the giver. Yeah. And so, what I find in revival is it strips all that away. And the church begins to pursue Jesus simply for who he is, whether they get anything or not. And so, in the message yesterday, I talked a little bit about sometimes we mark revival by the display of miracles or gifts or uh and it's not that um those things don't happen by all means i 100 percent believe in god's move through his church and yet at the same time what i see is i see a renewed passion and when our heart connects with god's heart so suddenly we start bleeding with the things that uh that break god's heart so at the revival in brownsville interestingly enough it was the services were probably what we would call in the church world the most unseeker services you'd ever get. Um, uh, lost people, unchurched people, don't stand in line for 12 hours to go to church. They especially don't stand in line for 12 hours and then go into a prayer meeting for an hour. But by the time service started at 7, the typical service there had three to three and a half hours of worship. So the pastor didn't get up to preach till 10 o'clock at night. And then he only preached for 30, 35 minutes, but the altar call would go on for another two hours. So services would go till midnight after people had gotten in line at 6 a.m. in the morning. What's interesting about that to me is two things. Um, 
One is the people that I watched night after night after night when the altar call was presented for people to come forward and give Jesus their yes. I watched people when the first note was struck run literally under the conviction of God to run to the altars. There was no sing. When I was a kid, we would sing sometimes uh, every verse and seven times over just as I am. Because if we could wear people out, maybe they would give in. I didn't see that there. I literally saw from the very first go, people running to respond to the, God. There was an expectation. There was an expectation. Yeah. And uh, uh, and here's the other thing that struck me is when the church left, they were not only so energized by the moment, but they were energized by what God was doing, that they had a contagiousness about them. Sharing their faith was not something on a to-do list that they had to do. It's something they wanted to do because they truly saw God changing lives and changing their own life. And so there was this contagiousness that said, you've got to get to, you've got to get to the church this Sunday at 11, or you've got to get to the church Thursday night at seven, because with confidence, they would say, God is going to change your life. And uh, I honestly, I long for those kind of moments in the church again, for us to carry this contagious optimism that we've seen God move over and over again in our life and the lives of others. And so we can't help but not confidently share who he is. Yeah, and there's something to be said about that confidence. When you go in expecting God to move, it's not it's not a surprise when he does. It's not because a lot of times I feel like we go into our Sunday mornings and we're like, oh, I hope we have a good worship set and I'm ready to hear a good word. But we forget that we're walking into the presence of God. Yeah. yeah. Like this is not just church karaoke and this is not just a good teaching. It's we're we're pursuing him. And yeah, I think there's something powerful that can happen when you prioritize that and be in his presence. Uh, when you were talking about the kind of the five year, because this was not just like a, a weekend thing. It lasted for years. Yes. You highlighted that hundreds of people would come and serve Monday through Saturday after working their nine to five job. And like you said, thousands would be in line waiting to get in just for the chance of getting inside the building. That's a huge commitment. It is. You know, it's interesting uh, because these opportunities give us a chance to unpack a a few of those moments in the service. So there's a couple things that I didn't get a chance to say for the sake of time. One is uh, the the service, the the revival went on for what people would say beginning to end eight years, but there was five thriving years, the first five years, and then it tapered the last three. In the first five years of the revival, they had they rested on Monday and Saturday, but they had services on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, besides their Sunday local church service. So they had five services a week that people came and ushered and greeted and held kids, and um, which is amazing to me. When they got 12 months in, some of their volunteers got fatigued, and they would say, that they lost a significant number of people in their local church over the five years because some people tapped out. But there was always this core that understood that they got to be a part, really, of history and God moving in America. And uh, the other thing that was fascinating to me is about the one-year anniversary, it was no denying that God was moving there, and it was having an impact not just on the church, it was having an impact on the city, you're talking about city officials that were coming to Christ, policemen and firemen and civil servants. And, and 
Interestingly enough, during the revival, so many students got saved. Now, this kind of rattles, this, this rattles the cage a bit. But so many students were getting saved and getting on fire for Jesus, it was disrupting the school day. The uh, kids were actually going to school. And again, do with this as you will theologically. Kids were walking onto their high school campuses, praying for their friends who were being slain in the spirit on their high school campus, not even on the church grounds. So it, it rattled Pensacola, but it was undeniable that God was moving. And so uh, uh, other churches, including Pensacola Baptist, which is a sizable Baptist church, started offering to sub- supplement volunteers at the revival services which I think is the coolest thing in the world. That if we were here in Battle Creek and one of our churches, whether it was Woodland or or Victory Life or Calvary or Friends, if God broke out and began to move and we saw him reaching, we saw God reaching our city, what would it look like if we were so passionate about seeing God move in our city that we would say, it doesn't have to be us. We'll send volunteers over to other churches to support that work. Yeah, because when there's a move of God happening, it doesn't matter where it's at. Like it, it, that's one of the things that we pray for on Tuesday mornings is God move. If you move at Journey Church, yes. if you move at Victory Life, if you move at Calvary, if you move at any of the God believing Bible preaching churches in Battle Creek, let us just witness that. Yes, yes. Uh, that's that's amazing. When when I grew up, I remember uh, both my parents were heavily involved in ministry. I spent a lot of time at the church. I was there Monday night, Tuesday night, like VBS, Awana. There, there was always something happening at the church, and I was always there. So for me, that was very normal. Um, where I feel over the past decade or so, there's been a cultural shift a little bit to where maybe there was a little bit too much of that early on, and now people are overcorrecting to where it's like, oh, well, we got to prioritize work and sports and school events and social events and uh, leaving very little time for the church, like the, the house of God. How do we balance that? Is one right, one wrong? Like, how do you find the, the happy middle? Yeah, so uh, here's what's funny. We only do that to church. Um, we, we only do that to church. That if... Uh, I like to work out, but I don't like to work out near as much as some of the folks we have in our church. I mean, I, I look at some of the people in our church and they run every day. They run every day at five o'clock in the morning in 10 degree weather. I don't understand them. I think they're a little bit crazy, but they run every day. Not one time do I hear those runners say, oh gosh, I better not run so much because I don't know that my kid, my kids, it might turn them off to running or I know people in our church that husbands and wives go to the gym together and they work out for two hours. I mean, they're religious with their workouts. And you know what they don't say? Oh my goodness, I'm at the gym too much. My kids are going to be fat and never want to work out. For a matter of fact, you know what I find? In those homes, the kids are more likely to exercise and work out and be healthy. Yeah. Why, why is that? Here, here's why. It's not the amount of time I spend at the church. It's the posture at which I do it and talk about it when I'm not here. So if I'm here, but every time I'm not here, I'm complaining about the church and complaining how tired I am and complaining that Pastor Thane just wants my time and energy, well, my kids are going to grow up bitter toward the church. 
If if I am resentful, but here's here's a key phrase. We get to, we don't have to. Yeah. I mean, if the tilt is I get to serve Jesus, I, it's not I have to serve Jesus. It's a perspective. It's a perspective that he saved my soul. He's changed my life. He's guaranteed my eternity. And so why would I not want to serve the God I love? And so I go and I say, I get to, when we, when we had our kids growing up and our kids aren't perfect, but they love the church and, and they were here, they were here at the church countless hours. I, I can't even tell you how many Saturdays we were building sets in children's ministry while they're playing literally at our feet for an eight or 10 hour day on a Saturday while we're working or how many nights we literally picked them up at school and drove them through a McDonald's drive through as we drove towards Awana or so we had our kids in church a lot. The only thing that we made a commitment to is we would never talk with bitterness in front of them, resentment. We would never talk disparagingly about anybody in the church. And church people aren't perfect. They're, they're, but again, we get the opportunity to serve the God that we love. And I just watch people that their attitude shifts and their guard lets down. And before they know it, they start talking disparagingly in a way that then their kids do get bitter. Like, why in the world are you spending all this time apart from me? Well, and it's not just processing with them. It's how you process in front of them. Yes. Because kids are sponges. Mm -hmm. Like, they will soak up stuff. And that was one of the things that my parents did really well at. Like, at times they both worked in the church, and then they volunteered in the church. But the entire time growing up, I knew that my mom and dad loved the church. Mm -hmm. They loved the people of the church. They loved the leadership of the church. And even if, because looking back now, I've had conversations in my adult life with them, knowing that that love was not always as ooey gooey as they made it seem. Like there was challenges, there was frustrations. But as a kid, I never saw that. Mm-hmm. I, all I knew is the church is a place where I go and I serve and I be a part and it's fun. Yes. And I've carried that to this day. Like we were talking the other day, like I absolutely love this house. Like I love, I love being here. I love, it's not just a job for me. There's something more to it. So that's so good. I love that pastor. That's it. It's all about perspective. You have to understand that how you talk about things really matters. Well, regardless of the size of the church, but it's especially true in larger churches, you have to be connected. Mm-hmm. When I watch people, maybe they were connected at one time and they get tired. Now I have something I do around here and Maybe most of our listeners have heard this, but if not, here you go. Uh, I say, people come to me and they're saying, I'm tired. I I need a break. I've been serving in the ministry for two years. I'm tired. I need a break. There's two two key thoughts that I, I lead with. Here's the first one. One hour a week is not why you're tired. You've overcommitted to being a uh, a, a parent at the school, you've overcommitted to being a Cub Scout mom, you've overcommitted to, you've overcommitted to, you've overcommitted to, and the first thing you want to cut out is your one hour at the church. But here's what I'll say. That's fine. You go get some rest. But God said he, Jesus said he came to serve, not be served. Yeah. So it's healthy for your soul to serve. I'll give you three months rest and I'm going to call you in three months and expect you to get involved again. So I give them a break, but I give them, I say right up front, I'm going to call you in three months. So guilt-free, go take three months. Guilt-free, take three months, but we're coming back. And then the second part is this, is um, uh, 
I watch people who disconnect. And then when they disconnect, they get very alone. And people lose sight of the fact that when they're serving, they have community with the people they're serving with. But when you disconnect, you become very alone and you get discouraged. And discouragement leads to departure. And so I watch people in large churches isolate and then slip out, isolate and then slip out. And so they see what they're giving. I see what they're getting. Yeah. And it's, it's sneaky. Like a lot of times you can't see that until you're past it, where when you disconnect, you think that you're resting, but really what you're doing is you're going to start slipping into discouragement because then you're not connected to a vision. You're not connected to a community. And we, God designed us to do this together. Yes. Like as a unified body, that is how we are wired. So, well, here's what's funny. I disconnect to get rest. Mm -hmm. I fill my schedule back up. I don't know about you. Oh yeah. When I was a kid growing up, my parent, my grandparents had a camper and I give in Michigan, everybody's got a camper. It seems. So I give campers a hard time. (laughs) They always tell me I need to talk more about golf since I love golf. But you know, it's funny because people say, Oh, I'm going to go to camp to get some rest. I remember camping with my grandfather who had a full one RV. It wasn't restful. We pulled it and got four miles to the gallon. We got to the campsite. We paid somebody else to park a vehicle we were paying for at the campsite. We hooked up the sewer, which we then had to unhook and clean out at the end. We had to roll out the awning. We had to set out camp chairs. And then we realized, oh, we don't have food and firewood. We got to go to the store. If we had stayed home, we had food in our freezer, but we don't have it at the camper. So now we got to go to the store, make a store run to Walmart. And you know what we did? We worked our tails off so that 30 minutes that night we could set by a fire and say, Oh, isn't this so relaxing? How relaxing. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> Family camp trips are some of the most stressful events in your entire childhood. Oh, it's so uh, good. Of course, my golf game makes me stressful too. So it, oh, it, yeah. it, it's all it, it's all what it is. It feels good when you're on the putting green, but as soon as you go out there and you hook your first three drives, <laughs> it's suddenly less relaxing. So true. Oh, it's so good. Well, that's all we got for today. Thank you for tuning in to the Woodland Sermon Podcast and join us next Monday for another episode. Have a great week.